Good morning. The passage today is from John 6, verses 22 through 35. Please read or listen along as we hear God's word. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Hear the word of the Lord. Word. I, want you, I want you to think very carefully with me about something. Why are you in this room? Just think about that. Why, why are you here right now on this day? Beginning of a new year. What, what, what are you hoping your presence here in this gathering will achieve or accomplish? I could probably even, even broaden that question a little further. If, if you consider yourself a Christian, why are you following Jesus? What, what compels you to do the things Christians do? To, to read the Bible? or to pray, or to worship with God's people, or, or to give to the work of the gospel, or to share your faith, or, or to make God's word your rule for life in every area of your life. I don't ask those questions just because it's the start of a new year. I ask it because the God with whom we have to do is not swayed by outward appearances. He's not. He, he's a God who looks on your heart, friend. He's not just content, in other words, with what you do or that you are here. He is just as, if not more, concerned with 
why you are here. Or why, for that matter, you were doing anything in the name of being a Christian. And let's face it, people identify as Christians for all sorts of reasons. Okay, let's just review a couple. For some, it's a family thing, right? It's part of the the culture in which you grew up. For others, it's a therapeutic thing. You know, you, you find comfort in the notion of a God whom you like to believe, loves you unconditionally and accepts you no matter what you ever see fit to do. Uh, For some, it's a matter of convenience. You know, towing the Christian line makes your your spouse happy or your parents happy or it lets you date the man or woman of your dreams. Uh, For others, it's a matter of religious duty. You know, you, you just feel like a better person when you're doing the things you think good Christians are supposed to do. Maybe it's a way of trying to control your life. You know, you, if you give God his due, so you think, um, he's more likely to watch your back or send a few extra blessings your way. I, I, don't, I don't know if any of those scenarios apply to you. The Lord does. But I do know this. Jesus offers you a far better reason to follow him as a Christian than all of that. Here's what it is. It's the gift of himself. It's the gift of himself. Because in every one of those scenarios I just mentioned, who is Jesus? in that scenario. He's a means, right? To some other end, we're we're trying to, to use him to get the cultural acceptance, moral assurance, or material blessings we crave. And then something altogether inconvenient, if that's your goal at least, comes along called John 6. 22 to 35. Because in this passage, friends, Jesus shatters our paltry notions of his identity and his worth by telling us that he is not a means to some other end. He is the infinitely glorious end. It's who he is. Yes, he came down from heaven to give life to the world, verse 33, but that life is found in him. For what? Verse 35, he is the bread of life. And that spiritual reality has some serious implications for your life. Big time. It doesn't just... It doesn't just sit there as as a nice religious idea. It insists on something. It demands something. What's that? Make trusting Jesus the supreme ambition of your life. That's what it insists on. Make trusting Jesus the supreme ambition of your life. Why? For only he can satisfy your soul. That's what it demands. Why is that the case? Well, John 6 gives us several reasons. Let's look at a few of them. First, 
pursuing the satisfaction of your soul is your most important work. Think about that. Pursuing the satisfaction of your soul is your most important work. In verse 22 of John 6, you've got a whole horde of people chasing Jesus. Why? Because the previous evening, all of them had a kicking meal. With five loaves and two fish, Jesus fed thousands, but now they can't find him anywhere. Little did they know that the previous night, he actually had literally walked across the Sea of Galilee. But when they finally track him down in Capernaum, then, and they ask, Rabbi, uh, when did you come here? And that question seems innocent enough, but Jesus knows their heart. And because he, he loves them, he, he turns the conversation away from, shall we say, transportation logistics <laughs> and squarely under the reason for following him in the first place. Look at verse 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He knows something, right? Jesus knows it wasn't a desire for God that brought them running after him. It was their full stomachs. What, what, what was the sign, because it was a sign, of feeding the 5,000 intended to accomplish? It was meant to do what signs are supposed to do. What are signs supposed to do? They're supposed to direct the hearts of the people to believe and trust the deity and power and sufficiency of Jesus. It's a sign but it didn't do that. Why not? Because this crowd was not remotely interested in the deity and power and sufficiency of Jesus. They wanted bread. Fill my stomach. And apparently, this Jesus guy can create bread on demand. That's cool. So Jesus calls him out on it. Waste no time. Guys, you have no genuine spiritual interest in me. You're consumed with one thing, one thing only, satisfying your bodily desires. And in this case, your desire for food. Their bodily desires were the governing ambition of their life. Does that sound familiar? To you, friend. All I want, Jesus, is a comfortable place to live, plenty to eat, entertainment on demand, a rewarding job, financial security, decently behaved kids, friends who accept me for who I am, and sex whenever I feel like it. Is that really too much? to ask of you, Jesus? I don't have to be rich. I'm not saying you got to make me like that guy, but this is all I want. It's really too much. It's all I need, okay? To which Jesus says, look at verse 27, you have no idea what you need. Do not labor for the food that perishes, 
but for the food that endures to eternal life. Translation, don't be a fool, guys. Don't be a fool. Don't choose a fleeting pleasure. Don't don't choose a satisfaction that that quickly fades. Don't, Don't spend the best of your time and your energy and your resources working to to feed your mortal body. Devote the best of your time and your energy and resources working to nourish and feed and sustain and satisfy your immortal soul. And when Jesus says, lest we get hung up on what he doesn't mean, okay? Do not labor for the food that perishes. He's not discouraging physical work to get a physical paycheck to provide for physical needs. He's not saying that. Okay, why do we know that? Because work is a good thing. God created work. You realize that the goal of life is not to work the least amount possible so you can chill out as much as possible. It's a good thing. We we glorify God through our work. So if that's not what Jesus is saying, don't work. What what is he saying? Do not labor for the food that perishes. He's challenging our priorities. He's challenging your priorities. What what is your supreme ambition, friend? What's the the primary focus in your life? Think about this. What do you fall asleep desiring and wake up eager to pursue? What what kind of work functionally calls the shots or governs how you spend your time and money? Is it A, the physical work of feeding your mortal body or B, the spiritual work of nourishing your immortal soul? That's what Jesus is asking. And he's saying this, having asked that, if you choose the former, if you devote your life to the American dream, then you are wasting your life. No matter how many people applaud you or esteem you or look up to you as an example of success in this world. You've wasted your life, Jesus says. Why? Because what are the next 40 or 50 or or 60 years of your life on earth compared to the weight of eternity? Because this life is not all there is, friends. This world you can see is not all that exists. There is a God in heaven who made you and loves you and one day will guarantee that every knee will bow before him. The choice you have to make is, on that day, will it be because you are forced to, or will it be because it is your great delight to? That's up to you.
What's not up to you is if you will bow. And the fact that Jesus exhorts us here to, what does he say? Look carefully at Jesus' words, verse 27, to labor for the food that endures, for spiritual satisfaction that lasts. That is incredibly instructive to labor for. That that tells us the activity necessary to satisfy your soul is gonna feel like work. (laughs) It's gonna feel hard and active and sweaty and and painful and and mentally tiring. It's gonna take tremendous effort on your part. 1 Timothy 6.12 concurs, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Matthew eleven twelve. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Or First Corinthians nine twenty four. My favorite, because I like to run. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run, so that you may obtain it. It's a picture of Christian life, which we forget to our peril. We, we find, what do we do? We find our souls strangely dissatisfied and we think, God must not be real. Or, or God doesn't love me. Or this whole Christianity thing works for some people, but it doesn't work for me. When the real problem, friends, is our unwillingness to do the necessary spiritual work. So, so often we're spiritually lazy, you know? We, we want the unshakable joy of a heart that's at peace, heart that's at rest, a heart that's, that's satisfied both now and for all eternity, but, but we refuse to do the hard work necessary, the labor necessary in order to feed your soul. Stop concluding, in other words, that your spiritual dissatisfaction is an indictment of the goodness of God and get started taking a humble look in the mirror because pursuing the satisfaction of your soul is hard, hard labor. That that is an active word in verse 27. And I think there's an important application here frankly, for, for those of you, if I can just have a little pastoral word with a group in this room, for those of you who are retired or who are about to retire. Okay, so, so think about this. The most important work in your life isn't going away. Okay? In fact, this work is the greatest work God has called you to, friend. The, the labor of seeking, of pursuing the satisfaction of your soul. So don't, don't think of your retirement as, as some kind of break from work. What is your retirement in this life? It's an opportunity to double down on the work that really, really matters. The satisfaction of your soul. That, that's the most critical and valuable work you will ever accomplish. If you are about to retire, don't think, I'm about to stop working. That will kill you spiritually. You better double down and seize that new time to do the work that really matters, to see your soul satisfied in Jesus. So remember, 
Seeking, pursuing the satisfaction of your soul, that is the most important work, which raises this question that Jesus soon answers, how do we do that, right? How do we labor for the food that endures to eternal life? Point number two, the satisfaction of your soul is only obtained through faith in Jesus. It's the most important work. Okay, got it, Jesus. How do we do it? Here's how. It's only obtained through faith in him. Look at verse 28. Then they said to Jesus, what must we do? Don't you love practical questions? To be doing the works of God. What, what sort of labor does God require? in order for us to experience a joy and a satisfaction that runs deeper than your last vacation or your last date or your last purchase on Amazon. Well, Jesus tells them, verse 29, this is the work of God. This this is how you secure satisfaction of soul. What do you do? You believe in him whom he has sent. You believe in the Son, whom the Father has sent. That's, that's the work. That's, that's the labor. Lo- locate your faith. Fix your trust in the person and work of Jesus. That's the work. Why? Be- because satisfaction of soul isn't something you can create for yourself, friend. Okay? Or, or merit for yourself. It's something that has to be given to you as a gift. Why, why does, why, what does Jesus say at the very end of verse 27? Look back there. Labor for the food that endures to eternal life, which what? Which the son of man will give to you. For on him, on the son of man, Jesus, God the father has set his seal. What's that mean? It means as the father's authorized representative, The son has exclusive responsibility and authority to satisfy your soul. Nobody else can, in other words. Nobody else will. And the satisfaction of soul he offers isn't earned, it's received. Which is why Jesus then says in verse 29 that laboring for it is an act of faith. It's an act of humility. What what is faith? You're one of those Christian words. Faith, yeah, I'm I'm all into faith. Well, whatever you think that means. What what is biblical faith? What's coming to God with the humility of an empty hand? And I emphasize empty. And a heart that says, Jesus, I am done with trying to satisfy myself. Done with that. I'm done with looking to other people and things to satisfy me. I need you to give me the joy and delight that I do not deserve and cannot earn. I need you to be my joy. I need you to be my delight. Give me life, Lord, and forgive me for thinking I could ever find it anywhere else but in you. That's faith. And Isaiah 55, one through three is a beautiful picture of why we should trust Jesus to satisfy our souls like that. Listen to this invitation from the Lord. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money 
for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live, the Lord God says. And says to you right now, friend, how do you, but here's the question, right? How do you buy something if you have no money? That's what the Lord's telling them to us to do. How, do. how do you buy something if you have no money? If the price has already been paid. Right? You ever had somebody else buy you something and say, all you got to do is drive there, give them this receipt, and they'll put it in your car. That's how you buy something when you have no money. If the price has already been paid, and, and it has, friend, it has. Jesus has completely and decisively paid for and accomplished all that is necessary to satisfy your soul for all eternity. But what do we have to do? We have to lay down our material demands. We, we have to lay down our confidence in our good works. We, we have to lay down the arrogant insanity because that's what it is of telling the author of life that we have found life somewhere else and it has nothing to do with him. You have to lay all of that down and say, Jesus, I despair of satisfying my own soul. Do it for me, Lord. I need you. I trust you, not, not once or twice or, or back then when I walked an aisle, but every day I choose to believe in you as a husband, trusting that you will complete the good work you have begun in my wife. I choose to believe in you as a father, trusting that my children's future rest firmly in your wise and sovereign hands. I, I choose to believe in you as a pastor, trusting that you are the one who builds this church. I choose to believe in you as a citizen, trusting that no matter what the other political party does, you reign. I choose to believe in you with a broken body, trusting that one day you'll make me whole. I choose to believe in you as I live in a broken world, trusting that one day your perfect justice will right every wrong. That, that's the road, that's the life, that's the talk and the walk of the satisfaction of soul because that kind of satisfaction is only obtained, friend, through faith in Jesus Christ. That, that's the great work of the Christian life. So here's the most important question you can ask and answer. In other words, as you head into a new year, think about this. This year, what does faith, wholehearted trust, glad obedience, submission in the son of God look like for me right now? Every situation. You, you, want to dis, you want to find, lay hold of, satisfaction of soul in every single situation you're in. There's one question you have to ask and answer. What does faith in Jesus look like right now? And if you don't know, ask for help. 
because we need a lot of it and the Jews are a case study because when Jesus said this, they called, when Jesus called them to trust him, they were not persuaded. Trust you, Jesus? Believe you? That, that's the secret to satisfaction of soul that, that endures forever? Well, if that's the case, I mean, come on. You're going to have to give us the sign. We, we got to see a work that, that proves God sent you just like he sent Moses. Because Moses gave us manna in the wilderness. Bread from heaven, literally, six days a week for 40 years. So, what you got? We'll wait. What you going to do for me? I'm a patient American consumer. Do something. Prove to my rational mind you're worth that faith you just asked for. I say it that way to emphasize there was a shocking arrogance in those words. It wasn't innocent. It was arrogant. Why? Because they had just witnessed firsthand the fourth major sign in John's gospel. They just saw it less than 24 hours ago. The feeding of the 5,000. John 6, 14 flat out says the crowd saw the sign that he had done. So it was clearly enough for them to chase him down for more bread, but it failed to convince them Jesus was worthy of their trust. In fact, on that front, the trust front, the faith front, the believe in Jesus front, it was as if Jesus had done no sign at all. Point being, the pride of human reason is never satisfied. Ever. When, when, we're, when we're living in unbelief, we fancy ourselves as what? To be spiritually objective. Because it's flattering. I, I, I don't trust Jesus because I don't see a good reason to trust Jesus. Therefore, there isn't a good reason to trust Jesus. And I'm not going to trust Jesus. If you want to trust Jesus and take that leap of faith, well, you do you. But I don't see it and I don't feel it, so I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stick with what I can see. Isn't that a smart thing? Well, here's the problem with that, friend. Unbelief actually keeps us from seeing Jesus for who he really is. It blinds us. It, it deceives us. It means left to ourselves, we will never choose to trust Jesus. We're going to look at more of that next Sunday. And, and Jesus, for now, he, he refuses to play along with our unbelief. Won't play, guys. He, he knows full well no number of signs will ever be sufficient to change a hardened heart. That's not going to work. So what does he do? He directs their attention back to the only source of spiritual satisfaction and the faith we need to experience it. What's that? God himself. Look at verse 32. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, implying it was ultimately God who fed them in the wilderness, but my father gives you, present tense, right now, in your face, literally, the true bread from heaven. 
What's the true bread from heaven? What's the, the true spiritual food that completely satisfies the soul of man? That the antitype, if you would, to, to which the physical bread in the wilderness, manna, pointed all along. The, the bread of God, look at verse 33, that satisfies the soul isn't a thing or an experience or an achievement or an obedience merit list, it is a he. It's a he. It's a life-giving person. The food that endures to eternal life is what? He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. But like, like many of us, what, what did the Jews see? The only need they saw And therefore, this is the sobering thing, the only satisfaction they could imagine was crassly material. That was the problem. Where's the bread? That's it. So Jesus gives them in verse 35 a magnificent summary of what he has been saying all along. And what he's gonna keep on saying in different ways over and over again for the entire rest of the chapter. Listen to me, guys. Let's cut to the chase. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Point number three, Jesus satisfies your deepest longings through the gift of himself. He is what you need. When Jesus says, we need to camp out here. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's saying that the self-existent creator, that the God who revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 3.14 as what? The great I am and took on flesh in Mary's womb. He's saying that God isn't just true or right were real. He's also what? He's satisfying. He's delightful. He's life-giving, pleasure-imparting, joy-creating. He's the one who satisfies the deepest desires of the heart, the only source of true life. He, he ravishes our souls with the fullness of his divine perfections. Because in Jesus, what what do we discover, friend? We, We encounter a God who knows us fully and loves us completely. Whose perfect justice will not allow the guilty to go unpunished. And whose boundless grace took that punishment upon himself. It's what his life and death and resurrection accomplished. What what did Jesus come to do? To make a way for us, sinners that we are, to know the joy of relationship with God. Where we could be satisfied with the infinite splendors of God. Because there's only one thing that's ever going to satisfy your soul. That's Jesus' whole point. And if you're nothing else in this sermon, hear this. It's not a 
spouse or a child or a job or a cash windfall or a stimulus check or a new body or even a sin-free world. What will satisfy your soul? God himself, friend. Nothing else will do. He is the food and drink that the Lord promised Israel at the very end of Isaiah 55, 3, where I left something off. Look back at that verse. Come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Relationship built on oath-bound, blood-bought promises. My steadfast, sure love for David. Covenant relationship with the eternal God. He, he is the summit of all glories, friends. He's the crown of all satisfactions. He's the pleasure to which every good thing points. And we know his name and it's called Jesus. And if you look at verse 35, I'll let you in on a little secret here. Jesus' own words here could not be stronger. And it's actually really hard to see this in English So let me try to walk us through this. Listen carefully, okay? There are two possible words in Greek that mean no. Two different words, uk and me. Don't worry about that, just know there are two. You can choose them depending on what kind of sentence you're creating. But when you want to say no in Greek, in the strongest possible terms, do you know what they do in their literature? They put them together. And Jesus does that not once, but twice in verse 35. Translated literally, whoever comes to me shall certainly never hunger. And whoever believes in me shall certainly never thirst. No, not ever. You, he, he couldn't. He maxed out the Greek language. He ran out of words. Why? Because the goodness of God cannot be confined to the limits of human speech. It's that true. And so if you're not a Christian and you're, and you're watching this or, or listening to me right now, please be careful. Take care that you don't condemn a pleasure you have never experienced. Because there is a satisfaction in knowing Jesus that, that the greatest suffering in this world cannot take away. He, he satisfies our desire for love. He satisfies our desire for hope. He satisfies our desire for meaning, for purpose, for freedom and peace and security and justice and joy. If if you feel any of those desires, know this right now. All of them are meant to lead you back to God. Because he put them in you. He created them. He sanctifies them. And then he satisfies them with himself, not in part, but fully and completely. And so this year, your spouse could leave you. For real. Your kids could disown you. Your friend could unfriend you. Like Job, you could lose your wealth. 
you could completely lose the praise and approval of the people who you really care about. But if you have Jesus, then it will be well with your soul. And you'll be able to say with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? And and even through reams of tears and hours of weeping, there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I can't say that without addressing a pastoral concern. That's this. There are times, even as Christians, where we lack a conscious awareness of Christ's sufficiency. Where where our, our emotional experience of his fullness just seems gone grows cold. What's up with that? Well, many times it's due to our failure to trust the Lord. We're not believing in Jesus. We've stopped trusting him. But sometimes it's because the Lord in the mystery of his will withholds a a conscious experience of spiritual satisfaction, not because our faith is weak, but because he is lovingly committed to making it stronger by teaching us to trust his heart when we can't see his hand. But what do we know in all of those circumstances, friend? What's Jesus saying remains true in all those circumstances? That you will never find because there is no spiritual hunger or thirst in your soul too great for Jesus to satisfy. So you might think what you really need is a change in your circumstances this year. Come on, God, I've been praying for this. Well, you might think that, but what you really need, friend, what what you always need, and if you are a Christian, what you already have is what you actually need. What's that? That's the knowledge and the joy of knowing the immortal God. That's what you need. That's all you need, ultimately. It's God himself. Don't don't start this year out by saying, God, hello, yes, how can I help you? I'd like a change in my circumstances. That's all. Uh, Call me when you're, you know, ready. Understand if that's on back order. No, don't do that. Don't be a fool. Pray, ask, not wrong to seek a change in our circumstances, but but make this your primary prayer. For, For everyone, change my circumstances, pray 10 of these. Lord Jesus, give me more of you. Give me more of you. Satisfy my soul with yourself. I I want to know you more than I want this suffering to go away because if this suffering is the way you have ordained for me to know you, then I say with Paul and Job and all the saints of old, this is going to be worth it. Because you're better. And I don't care what it costs me. I just got to have you. And that's why we keep our eyes on him, friends, and keep coming to him 
and obediently trusting him, even when our experiential awareness of his satisfaction just ebbs and flows like a tide. We, we still, in the ebb and the flow, what do we as believers know? We know Jesus is the answer. We know Jesus is the only one who satisfies. We know nobody else can give us life. So we refuse to stop looking away from Jesus. There's one thing you need more than anything else this year. It's the bread of life. It's not a box you check. Yep, no Jesus, what's new, God? (laughs) It's a relationship you pursue. And think about this, for all eternity, Christian, you are never going to reach an end of the manifold glories of God. It's not gonna run out. It's not gonna grow old. You're not gonna say, wait, you know, can, can they just, when is season three? <laughs> and let's be honest, because as we close here, we, this is a moment for humility. A lot of us make all kinds of sacrifices. You did this week, you're about to do this next week. To labor for the food that perishes. Maybe you, you get up early, you go to bed later, you take on more responsibility even though you're not getting paid to do more of it. You sacrifice your physical health. We, we sacrifice time with our family. Not all of those sacrifices are good. But regardless, we know what it means to labor to feed our bodies. Here, here's the question John 6, especially verse 35, leaves us with. Are you willing to work just as and even harder than that this year? to satisfy your soul. Are you willing to do that? To feed your soul with a bread of life. It's not glamorous. It means opening your Bible (laughs) and meditating on the truth of Jesus when you don't feel like it. It means pouring out your soul to God in prayer even when you're so tired You don't even know what to say and you're not sure if this prayer will last longer than eight seconds. It means relentlessly pursuing community with your brothers and sisters in the church even when COVID gives you the best excuse imaginable. Oh, you know, um, I'm, 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 I'm distancing from like anything to do with Jesus. Don't do that. It means living out obedient faith in Christ by making really hard moral choices in private when nobody else is watching. Why should you do all of that? Because as a Christian, you have come to know something. Jesus is the bread of life, period. So don't be a fool and think you're gonna find it somewhere else. That's the definition of folly. Make trusting in him your supreme ambition and your highest priority, because only he can satisfy your soul. Let's pray. Jesus, we adore you as the bread of life. And yet, 
I know even as I say that with gratitude in my heart, there are some in this room who cannot say that with integrity. At least they don't think they can because they're not feeling it. Or maybe they used to feel it, but they don't right now. Holy Spirit, in the ebb and flow of our faith and our conscious emotional awareness and experience of your beauty, Jesus, we ask you right now as your people that you would forgive us for where that lack of satisfaction reflects a distinct unwillingness to work, to do the work of faith, a refusal to trust you, a a choice even unconsciously to trust something else instead of you. And as a result, we're suffering the consequences right now. We lack joy, we lack peace. It's not a mystery because we've stopped trusting you. Lord, we also know there are others who really, really want to trust you. They want to experience the the satisfaction of soul that is only obtained through faith in you, as as you have reminded us this morning. And so I pray for them right now, Lord God, that by the living, breathing Holy Spirit present with us in this room, that you would impart the gift of faith in Christ. A single-mindedness of dependence a wholeheartedness of trust. Because you have said to us, that's the only path that leads to joy. Lord, we we say with St. Augustine, command what you will and will what you command. Satisfy our souls and help us to stop mucking about looking for it everywhere else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.